thanks to all of you for being with us. Here's our toll-free number. We hope you'll use it today. It's 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. The great one, Mark Levin, launching his brand-new book, I think his best book to date, American Marxism. Now on bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com, Hannity.com. We got it everywhere. Um, he'll be with us today. Peter Schweitzer joins us. We'll update you on everything that's going on in Cuba and how Biden had to be shamed by Senator Marco Rubio to even, you know, utter an even a, 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 comp, a comprehensible statement, comprehensible statement on the issue of uh, uh, Cuba. And, and meanwhile, American flags are, you know, freedom fighting Cubans that have been living in misery and poverty under a murderous Marxist dictatorship uh, now finally are, are rising up. I'm not saying we need to send troops in. I don't want foreign wars fought in perpetuity in this country, but we can do a lot to help the resistance there and the and the freedom fighters there uh, that we're not doing. You know, the, these are fascinating times we're living in. Let me start with the positive side of it. I've spoken at length at what's been happening. First, it started at the Islanders games when they were playing the Tampa Bay Lightning, and they had a seven-game series, and and they'd have they'd start the singing of the national anthem, and the crowd would take over. And then it happened, and then the same thing to Tampa Bay's credit. They did the same thing in game five in their series. The crowd took over the singing of the national anthem. And it just gives me, you know, chills and goosebumps every time I hear it. Now, here it is. You have, and I love stores like Walmart. Why does everyone attack Walmart? I love Walmart. I love Costco. You go to Costco, you go to Walmart. You save money. They got all the food you'd ever, ever, all the stuff you'd ever want. You know, the only problem I have recently with going to Walmart, and I was there twice recently, Super Walmart, is the line is like a mile long to check out. I mean, it's so crowded. Uh, but I'm not complaining. I was, I was fine waiting. Not a big deal. I like to people watch anyway. Uh, I still get noticed with a mask and a hat and dark glasses. I don't know what to make of that. You know, occasionally get a brief moment of anonymity is, is not a bad thing for me. But, but it was the coolest thing that happened. I think it was the 4th of July. And out of nowhere, you know, these, you know, remember smelly Walmart shoppers? Well, I'm one of them. I love these stores because they save us money and they have everything you ever want. I remember buying when I had no money my furniture at Walmart. I mean, just they, they got everything you want. Now, Super Bowl Walmart, you do your grocery shopping. They do get everything you need. Anyway, uh, one patriotic customer starts a rendition of the Star Spangled Banner. It was in Texas. It was over Independence Day weekend. And it was a chain reaction. And all the other sh shoppers, and I'll show you the video tonight, they're putting their hands over their heart, and they all joined in. Now, there's a reason this, this is happening. And I'd love for sports now that now that they've been politicized, now that, you know, Kaepernick started with the taking of the knee and then other teams followed, other players taking a knee and then others staying in the locker room, they won't come out for the national anthem. Fine, let the let we the people let us have our say now. And I hope this happens in stadiums and in arenas all across the country for every sport. Baseball, basketball, look what they did with the baseball all star game. Thanks to Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock and Joe Jim Crow 2.0 Biden. Cost the state at least $100 million in Georgia. 
you know, falsely accusing Georgia of being a racist state when they have far more restrictive voting laws than Joe's state of Delaware. It's unbelievable. We're like the only ones that point these things out sometimes. So frustrating. But listen to this this rendition in this Walmart in Texas. I'm so proud of my fellow Americans for doing this. That was awesome. Great job, people in Walmart. Great job, Tampa Bay. Great job, the New York Islanders, Nassau Coliseum fan. Great job by everybody. I hope this I hope this continues. I really do. And then you compare it, you know, to the mob, the the media, the the woke crowd in the country. The New York Times literally equates freedom, the name the word freedom as an anti-government slogan. And I'm not making this up. You know, only the New York Times and, and, and the, you know, we'll use Levin's term. It's, by the way, Mark's new book is called, this is going to make liberals, you know, bubble and, and fizz like Alga seltzer in water, American Marxism. I mean, with every, every, I've talked about the history of socialism and live free or die, it's a very, there's a very different modern, but the best part of Mark's book is his last chapter. We choose liberty and we can save this great republic. But as I always say, it's going to take all of us. We all got to be a spoke in the wheel. Many of you thank me for doing my shows. I'm, I'm thank you for giving me this microphone. I thank you for giving me a camera at night that I can that I can broadcast from. Because you allow me to be a spoke in the wheel. We all got to be a spoke. Change the, we've got to instill integrity in our election process. That's the first step. Have confidence in election results. The five things I always talk about. You know, it's not going to be hard to prosecute the case against new green dealism and socialism and open borders and everything's free, except we can't afford any of it. And we've gotten rid of energy independence. And what's Joe going to do with China and the reunification, quote, with Taiwan and with a crackdown in Hong Kong. It's dangerous there. I advise you not to travel to these places right now. It's, it's, we're, we're really, it's, it's, we're, we're hanging by a thread. I, I'm serious as all get out here. And I'm talking to a lot of people, a lot of sources. Or, you know, now China's bragging they kicked our, our Navy out of the, the China Sea this weekend. And they're threatening our military bases. And the Chinese and the Russians are now arming the Iranians so they can fight their proxy wars in the Middle East. Nobody seems to be paying attention. Meanwhile, the New York Times uh, is, you know, framing these spontaneous protests. Look what's happening in Cuba. 
you know, shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans. Hundreds of Cubans took to the streets and cities around the country on Sunday to protest food and medicine shortages in a remarkable eruption of discontent not seen in nearly three, 30 years, the New York Times tweeted. They, are, are they that clueless? And on the same, you know, some on Twitter called out the New York Times for equating freedom as an anti-government slogan. It says shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans. When did freedom become an anti-government slogan? Just like you have Lauren Wolf, former freelance editor, New York Times, admits, I guess I should give her some credit, she's a biased journalist in an essay. Anyway, she was fired by the New York Times in January, gushing about Joe Biden, proudly proclaiming herself a biased journalist, if she just would hide, would have kept hiding it like everybody else, nobody would care. But that's that whole newspaper. I'm a biased journalist, and I'm okay with that. You know, I actually at least give someone credit. They, they're finally admitting that which we've been telling you for a long time is true. I'm, I'm, I'm watching every movement, everything that's happening, and I'm like, how does this country ever reconcile? You got people in Walmart singing the national anthem, and then you got, you know, people assisting law-breaking, open borders amnesty, wanting energy independence, wanting to pack the courts, wanting no integrity in our elections, no voter ID whatsoever, no signature verification, as if these are horrible things when we use it in everyday life for pretty much everything we do. I mean, these, these this, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that we have a, a Democratic Senate majority in perpetuity, and the biggest power grab in the history of this great republic being attempted. You know, it's, it's really unbelievable. I'm looking at, you know, other things as well. At the Washington Post, look at this newspaper. One of their writers claiming the Statue of Liberty is a meaningless symbol of hypocrisy. you got to be kidding me. It's been known, you know, for how long is one of the most preeminent symbols of the American dream and American freedom. And a Washington Post writer appearing to make the statue, what, another target of we're going to cancel the Statue of Liberty? Are you kidding me? Stunningly beautiful. Anyway, the, the art and architecture critic won a Pulitzer Prize, like New York Times. When are we winning our Pulitzer Prize for being right about Obama? and his radical associations, and being right about Russia, 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 and the hoax and the conspiracy theories, and the dirty dossier that Hillary paid for, and the FISA applications that were lied on with unverifiable, now debunked information. You know, this is a meaningless symbol of hypocrisy and unfulfilled promises. Where else would this writer like to live, is my question. Well, you know, name the country that accumulated more power and abused it less than this one, and then name the country that has accumulated as much power as the U.S. and shared and advanced the entire human condition because of liberty and freedom and a belief that rights come from God, you can say it, not the thing, endowed by the creator, the creator of everything, not, you know... All these truths to be self-evident, all men and women are created equal, and down by their, you know, the, the thing, the thing, the thing. No, 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 God, the creator of everything. 
By the way, the uh, ju- a judge did issue an injunction against Biden's USDA policy over race-based loan forgiveness program. Whatever happened to a colorblind society? Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Andrew Sullivan. He's a smart guy. He doesn't like me at all, which I'm fine with. I have no problem with my critics. But he actually wrote a really good piece, and they, they covered it in the New York Post today, under thumb of lefty elites. It's bigger than critical race theory. Radical ideologies transforming the U.S. And he, and he goes on, and by the way, I can answer this question for Andrew Sullivan. Conservatives have left Twitter. It used to be if we put out a tweet, many people that agreed with me would like it. That rarely happens now. Now it's all trolls. And one of the main reasons is a lot of conservatives have said the hell with it. And they've left because they're getting banned anyway. And they're stifling freedom of thought, expression, and speech, and they still get liability protection under Section 230. I'll get to that in a minute. So it's like, how do you reconcile these differences that we have as a country? New Green Deal, socialism, you know, massive tax increases, redistribution of wealth, stack the courts, uh, the power grab, no integrity in elections whatsoever, no voter ID, no signature verification, no chain of custody controls, no partisan observers watching the vote count. Are you kidding me? This is madness. This is insanity. You know, and then you got, oh, the Pledge of Allegiance, no, the flag, no. Okay. I, how does America get get together? How do we get so divided? I remember after 9-11... Anyway, so Andrew Sullivan is writing that, you know, it's a lot of trolling that that he's getting. When did you become so far right? I, you know, he actually writes a really good column and he's being called what any conservative gets called, you know, racist, uh, misogynist, trans, you know, xenophobe, homophobe, Islamophobe, all the all the same obvious things that get said. And he points out the real question is, is what has happened to you? Because these weren't controversial issues saying the pledge and standing with your hand over your heart and proudly and loudly and unapologetically being grateful for the greatest country God gave man. And, you know, critical race theory, that, that's only the latest squabble. Look, look, look at what liberals have done to our school system. Look at what they've now done down at the border. Look at what they've done by ending and eliminating energy independence. How's that working out for most of us? Look at, look at what their plans are. Look at what weakness on the world stage is creating. Why would we ever trust the people that lied about keeping your doctor and your care and saving money and, and we were totally lied to? Why would we trust the, the same people again? Or the people that promised us Social Security and a lockbox and Medicare will be there for us. They're both headed for insolvency. The same people that for decades can't keep simple, basic law in order in their in their hometowns and cities. People that, that claim that they're going to give us the best education. We spend more per capita than any industrialized nation with the worst results. And he's just beginning to realize... You know, how the discourse in this country has changed radically. And, you know, it is, he's arguing here, the sudden rapid shift in the belief system of American elites. I agree with that part. 25 till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. So I guess now 
you know, labor, Lady Liberty will be canceled. Washington Post writer cl- claiming the Statue of Liberty is meaningless, a meaningless symbol of hypocrisy and unfulfilled promises. Like, what is going on in this country? You know, then you've got the New York Times, which, you know, predictably, radically left-wing and their positions on pretty much everything woke, ripping, you know, rip for equating freedom. This is the statement. It's like shouting freedom and other anti-government slogans. Uh, that freedom is an anti-government slogan. Have you not watched Braveheart and the, and the courageous scream of freedom? You know, Sir Robert the Bruce and, you know, William Wallace and the battle for freedom. Freedom! Giving a speech saying, yeah, you go home and you live for now. One day in your old age, you'll, you'll think back to this day. One chance for freedom. That's what's happening in Cuba today. You know, then watch what happens. I noticed this article out of Germany. It was a German farm where cows are in charge, or at least they're co-equals. I, I mean, what does a co-equal cow mean? I mean, you can't even make this stuff up that animals have rights. So there's an article in the New York Post today, and it's the headline is not to scale. Dieters are shame for losing weight. Now, let me give you some science. If you, if you manage your weight and your BMI, if you manage these things, guess what happens? You lo- chances are you're going to be in better health, better heart health, lower blood pressure, your odds of getting you know, diseases like you know, type 2 diabetes decreases, your chances of stroke decreases. All right, I'm a little bit of a health nut. I mean, I work out like an animal every day, but... All I do is work out and, and work. That's pretty much my life and eat as little as I possibly can. Anyway, it tells the story how people, public figures like Adele and, and others, I don't really know most of these people, are being criticized for slimming down. And he points out in the article in April, the singer Demi Lovato slamming a popular L.A. frozen yogurt shop on Instagram for promoting diet culture messaging an act for which Lovato has since apologized, but, you know, finding it extremely hard to order, I guess, frozen yogurt. Um, when you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies and other diet foods, Lovato writes on Instagram, do better. I mean, why would we criticize people that, you know, how hard it is to lose weight? I know how hard it is to lose weight. It's a pain in the ass. You know, because I like to eat. I wish I could eat a lot more than I do eat. Like everybody else, I like to eat. Now we can't eat. And if you try and lose weight, which is a great accomplishment, one you should be proud of, oh, you're fat shaming, you're this shaming. I'm like, no, I'm just trying to be healthier. And being on a diet, we should be shamed for being on a diet to try to be healthier. What, What does the science tell us? What do doctors tell us? Losing weight is a good idea. Unbelievable. This is wokeness. By the way, huge backlash to the FBI urging family members to report suspicious behavior. It was met with a a swift backlash. A lot of articles now written about this and a lot of comments online about this. 
Family members, peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilization of violence. Well, I mean, if you, you know, Glenn Greenwald had a good comment. So here's the FBI encouraging people to monitor family members for sign of extremism to report to the FBI. Well, if you know that somebody's going to be involved in a school shooting, yeah, I would advise you. If your brother's Ted Kaczynski, I would advise you to probably report it. But people, don't we already know? We have enough common sense to do that. There's finally some backlash to the BLM chapter in Utah that called the American flag a symbol of hatred. You know, there's a pretty sickening video of a young man ripping an American flag out of someone's yard and flinging it to the ground as his mother watches. That's ignited a bit of a firestorm online. That's now happening. I mean, this what's happened here? I'll tell you what's happened. We've indoctrinated our kids. We've radicalized our kids. You know, this, this poll, last, this is why Mark's book is so important. The great one's going to join us, American Marxism. He's right, because this is what's happening when we indoctrinate our kids in institutions like our educational institutions that we pay for. You know, New York City pays on average a $27,000 a student. Could you imagine if you gave every parent for every child twenty seven grand? the type of education that would then become available to parents? Well, what's, what schools would parents choose to send their kids to? I would guess the majority of parents, I don't know, I think if I had to guess, would send their kids to ed- educational institutions that don't put up with any crap and that teach writing and reading and math and science and computers and life skills. That's what I would bet. That's where those dollars will go. The schools, they, they probably put kids in uniforms. That's not a bad idea either. Where respect for teachers is, is mandated and bad behavior is not accepted. You're going to get thrown out. Those are the schools that would do the best. They'd start popping up everywhere. See teachers, you know, open their own schools. Good teachers and saying, these are our standards. This is what we're going to stick to. The fundamentals always goes back to the fundamentals, doesn't it? In life, when you think about it. Anyway, 800-941-SEAN. Still the Biden administration, uh, Sean is our number. Still the Biden administration standing behind their nominee for this government post. Um, imagine if Donald Trump nominated a, a right-wing domestic terrorist to a top administration post. I keep watching. I'm waiting for Joe to pull the nomination of Tracy Stone Manning to lead the Bureau of Land Management amid revelations of her past role in eco-terrorism. You know, they're, they're standing by the nomination. And even though everyone knows it's a massive vetting failure, 1989 Stone Manning mailed a letter to the U.S. Forest Service on behalf of an individual and her circle of friends warning federal authorities that trees in Idaho's Clearwater National Forest were scheduled to be cut down, that they put these metal spikes in them to prevent them from being cut down. You know what they do with, with the tree spiking? You know what that meant to men that worked in the timber industry? It, it, life or death or massive injuries. Because when you take a chainsaw and you're cutting down a tree and it hits a metal spike, guess what do you think happens? The people that are cutting down, the loggers are getting, and mill workers that are processing the, the spike trees, 
you know, get injured and or killed. Oh, that is a great person for the Bureau of Land Management, if I've ever heard one. You watching what's happening in Cuba? I am. This is a, a Marxist murdering regime. We'll get an update later in the program. I got an education from a man when I lived in Athens, Alabama. I was broadcasting in Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Athens, Decatur, Alabama. And this guy was wonderful. He's since passed away. Great guy. He was actually an advertiser on my radio show at the time. He was a local host. It was like 1990, 91 when I knew him. And he barely made it out of Cuba alive as his family, you know, they happened to be fairly wealthy landowners. Many of his friends, family, neighbors were killed. Castro's rise to power, confiscation of property. And he stayed as long as he could. He was part of the resistance and his life was in jeopardy and he had to escape. And he was able to, you know, like so many others, you know, get in a broken down rickety boat and shark infested waters or an inner tube and try and make their way to the United States. It's a perilous journey. And, uh, and, the, and look at what's happened. What, what is the history of Marxism, radicalism, statism, authoritarianism, socialism? What is, what is its history? Wrote about it at length in Live Free or Die, Socialism's History of Failure. Marxism's History of Murder and Failure. Because it was a murdering Marxist regime. Levin is right in his definition. And what happened is, is they just confiscated it all. What happens with socialism, redistributionism? In other words, what they're trying with the New Green Deal socialism you're going to believe the people that failed in education, that bankrupted Social Security, Medicare, that can't keep law and order, keep people safe and secure, that lied about Obamacare. Now we're going to entrust them with what? Child care, early child education, free college, student loan forgiveness, cradle to grave, womb to tomb, uh, safety net that I guess is appealing to 18 to 34 year olds, which scares the hell out of me. How many of these promises you think they're going to fulfill? Why would you trust people that fail on every other level? Why would you trust the people where they spend the most money on education and come in 40th worldwide? Why would we give them more power? It always ends in the same thing. Unfulfilled promises, more poverty, Cuba, Venezuela, modern day examples, the former Soviet Union, Mao, China, murder, mayhem. A hundred million souls in the last century alone under the name of government reform. Anyway, it's the biggest anti-communist government demonstrations in, in, in decades that have been going on down there. The white, and by the way, where, where are all the, where are all the Cuba lovers now? You know, where, where are the, where's Bernie Sanders? He's been notably quiet or Justin Trudeau you know, calling Fidel Castro a remarkable leader. No, no, Justin, he was a murderer. Or Colin Kaepernick defending Castro or Michael Moore's stupidity over bragging about the great health care system in Cuba and saying that Castro should deliver his Oscar acceptance speech. What has happened to our country? Anyway, the revolutionary citizens counter-protest. You know what they're chanting? They're carrying American flags. And Joe Biden had to be embarrassed by Senator Marco Rubio into finally making a, a tepid and a weak statement. 
Castro fan Bernie Sanders is AWOL. Hey, Bernie, your beloved Cuba, their people are revolting. Do you stand for liberty and freedom against this murdering regime? And who the hell would ever honeymoon in the former Soviet Union like he did? Hence, I call him Bolshevik Bernie. Marco Rubio accused Biden of, of being MIA, silent on Cuba, all day yesterday. 8.30, no comment from the White House. When they finally released a statement from an assisting secretary of state, she said that the protests was anger about only about rising COVID cases and deaths, which is a lie, an outright lie. Rubio quickly, Senator Rubio, blasts the State Department, as ridiculous. This is not happening because of COVID. Why do you think they're waving American flags there? And then he said, it's now 1015, still nothing from Joe. We finally heard from Joe. I'm sure somebody else wrote the statement. He's probably still night-night time for Joe. You know, that, that it's time for the Cuban regime to hear their people and serve their needs at this vital moment rather than enriching themselves. Oh, but that's, that, that's a powerful statement. We have video emerging of the protesters. We're not afraid, and they're carrying American flags. We're all the Castro lovers out there. I'm telling you what's happening, and now there's going to be mass arrests. I'll tell you the next thing that's going to happen. Many of these people are likely not to ever return. Sad. Senator Cruz issued a strong statement that the Cuban people have fought against the tyranny of this communist regime. I'll add murdering communist regime for decades. And they're now taken to the streets demanding liberty. This regime has brutalized and denied freedom to generations of Cubans, forcing many, including my family, to flee or be murdered. Over the coming days will widen its violence to try and suppress the brave protesters in the streets the American people stand squarely with the men and women of Cuba and their noble fight for liberty. I'm not saying to get involved in a foreign conflict here, but I am saying we can help this resistance and we ought to be helping the resistance, the freedom fighting people in Cuba. American people stand with the men and women of Cuba, this fight for freedom. And the Biden administration must unequivocally and forcefully tell the world as much immediately. Communist Cuban regime regime will be consigned to the dustbin of history. Joe's not going to lift a finger. What else do we have? Oh, let's see. Biden uh, falls back. Oh, this, all this spending is for the children, the little children. Janet Yellen is now telling banks to invest in climate. Good grief. Wall Street Journal, higher inflation, here to stay for years. Use car prices through the roof because people can't afford new car prices gas prices even going higher than they were last week unbelievable but biden signed an executive order aimed at promoting competition across the economy hey joe we already have that all right hour two sean hannity show 800-941-SEAN you want to be a part of the program 
Um, nobody uh, impresses me more with their knowledge of our founders, our framers, our Constitution than the great one, Mark Levin. He has written numerous bestsellers, I think six, seven now, number one New York Times bestselling books. This is this is destined. It will be the next number one New York Times bestseller. Maybe his most important book, although Liberty and Tyranny was a phenomenal book. You know, Mark had written in, in one of his books that we now live in a post-constitutional America. When I talk about we have a dual justice system, we don't no longer have equal justice, equal application of our laws. Well, well, that's a post-constitutional America. That's not the way the system was designed. But in his brand new book, this is just out, it's called American Marxism. Mark does a lot of things in this book. He he captures and defines the moment we are now living in and how, frankly, dangerous it is to this great republic. I mean, there's no doubt that these elections coming up in November of 2022, November 2024, it's, it's kind of do or die. I mean, America's got to reverse course. As as bad as I knew Biden and the new Green Deal radical socialists would be, I, I never thought it would be this bad. I never thought we would see a president this cognitively compromised. All these promises, false promises, false hope that will never be fulfilled, you know, by by new Green Deal socialists, we, we know it's not going to happen. But not only does it define the time that we live in, it also gives a plan of of action. So many of you so often ask me, well, well what can I do? What, what, Hannity, what do we do? And I've given you a three-point plan. And 17 states now are actively looking to implement election reform. So some of the things that we saw all the way back in 2000 in Florida, 2016 in Florida, 2020 around the country can never happen again. And first, that means you have to get in touch with state senators and assemblymen and legislators and and make sure that we have integrity in our election process, confidence in our election results. The next thing is this will write itself the failures again of of flirting with New Green Deal socialism, the people that failed on law and order and and destroyed our school system, the ones that promised to keep your doctor plan and save money. You know, now now we're going to hand them over what guaranteed government daycare, uh, child care, pre-K, free college, uh, college loan forgiveness, guaranteed jobs, guaranteed wages, guaranteed health care, guaranteed healthy food, guaranteed retirement, guaranteed, guaranteed, guaranteed. Well, whatever manifestation socialism has taken on over the course of history, whatever name it's it's used, we see it unfolding in Cuba today. It it always ends. The results are predictable. It will fail. These are this is false hope and these are false promises. They'll never be fulfilled. You always end up with more poverty. You always end up with, you know, whatever degree of freedom you give up in the name of false security. And Mark goes through all of this, guaranteed to be a number one bestseller. And, I, and I'm going to keep Mark on for a while today because I really want him to go through this book. I have torn it apart start to finish. It's a phenomenal book. Mark, I, I, I love Liberty and Tyranny. I love Rescuing Sprite. And all your books, but I, I've got to be honest, at this moment in, in our history, I think this is defining our times, and it also provides a roadmap uh, and an antidote in how to resolve what is a, a predictable decline of our great republic. Uh, welcome back, sir. 
Well, I want to thank you, Sean, and uh, your magnificent audience out there. And uh, I've been chomping at the bit. You know, for three months, I've been t discussing this book relatively at a surface level. And uh, I wrote this book to try and build a movement around some of the things that are already happening in this country, like the Tea Party movement or the Reagan movement or the Trump movement, because that's what's going to take to claw our way back out of the abyss. We're not at the precipice looking in the abyss. We're in the abyss, and we need to climb our way out. There is a movement that has been growing over the last many decades, and it's in front of us. And one of the things I do with this book, Sean, is I call it what it is. It's an American form of Marxism, and I know the media are going to hate it, and they will attack me, but they don't matter. They are corrupt, they are dishonest, and they're part of the problem, and they're carrying the ball for these movements. You will never see the movement disagree with any single one of these Marxist movements, whether it's critical race theory, the degrowth movement, dressed up as climate change or global warming, the transgender movement, uh, which is now spreading throughout our elementary schools, and so forth and so on. And so the purpose of this book is to, number one in the first chapter, tell the American people, this is what it is. You may not want to believe it. You may want to turn your head. You may want to think this is a fad. You may want to think somebody else is going to fix this. Ain't going to happen. It's here. It's in our face. And it's now. And Mark, let me, let me, let me stop you here for one second. Because I know the left. I've been doing this for 33 years on radio, 25 years, as you know, on Fox. And we've been best friends for, for decades now. And I know just the name American Marxism is going to make liberal heads explode. Media, media mob people's heads explode. And you very, very wisely in the opening chapter, um, it's here is, is what you call the chapter. How many of these leftist Marxists, authoritarianists, uh, we're watching authoritarianism, they use other names. They like to call themselves New Green Deal Democrats or Democratic Socialists because they know Americans instinctively are hostile to Marxism. You know, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, the Squad, whatever, environmental justice, et cetera, et cetera. This is important because names and definitions matter here. It's absolutely true. One of the things I, you know, you've said, I've said, but what I make the point in the book is we've got to stop using their language, stop using their narrative, stop being intimidated. What do you mean? I'm a Marxist. Look, these ideas that they have, they didn't just come up with them. Constant class warfare, you hear it from Biden, uh, constant race warfare, all this oppressor, oppressed, bourgeois versus uh, proletariat, one group against the other. This is intentional. This is Marx. The dehumanizing of the individual, they never talk about individualism, they talk about communalism. They talk about the government. They talk about this program, that program, these people. Uh, they don't treat us as individual human beings. And you can see it in their policies, whether it is slaughter every weekend in the streets of this country, uh, whether it's open borders with uh, what's happening on the southern border, both to the people coming in and the people who live there. They don't give a damn about individual human beings. They are pushing a group agenda. They are pushing a, a, a transitional agenda. That is exactly what they're doing. You have a president of the United States, cognitive or not, who you're signing executive orders left and right, uh, like he is an, an autocrat in one of these regimes, uh, whether it's the private sector destroying kids, uh, girls' sports, uh, this, this critical race theory and so forth. He doesn't have a mandate for any of this. It's 50-50 in the Senate. Pelosi has a four-vote lead in the House. Uh, he, he, in my view, 
very serious questions raised about this election. But all that aside, they have temporary power and they're trying to make it permanent. Whether it's an attack on our constitutional system, on the Supreme Court, on our legislative process, packing the court, packing the Senate, destroying our voting system, borders wide open to change the demographics, their foot is down on the pedal. It's not any longer that AOC runs the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party has embraced this alien ideology that's been imported into this country. And chapter after chapter, I explain how this happened. I explain who was behind it. I use their writings to prove it. So when I am ultimately, inevitably attacked by the left-wing surrogates and hacks for these movements, I'll say, I'm quoting this, I'm quoting this, I'm quoting this. In other words, the book is bulletproof. The book well, is bulletproof. And the footnotes to show... You know, I say it a little bit differently than you, but I like the way you do say it. Um, I've, I've talked about now for many years, I talked a lot about it before the election, how we have institutional institutions, major institutions in America failing we the people. And by that, I mean the media mob, the big tech mob, the teachers unions and, and other unions. That is the, their own mob. They're all beholden. Uh, the Democratic Party, and its groupthink, its propaganda, indoctrination, universities, corporations, you name it. And and you go into this in great specificity at the start of the book, and I thought you explained it extraordinarily well. Well, yeah, and you know, let's take, let's take a little piece of this, because a lot of this is overwhelming. And what I do in the book, and you note this, Sean, too, is, is I, I cut it up like salami. I take one piece at a time. And I deal with it one piece at a time and I deal with it. So we're not overwhelmed. So it's not like, oh, my God, what do we do? So we understand it analytically. We understand it historically. We understand it factually and contemporarily. And then we do something about it in the last chapter, which we can get to later. But, for instance, the National Education Association, they don't give a damn about kids. You saw that during the virus. You see that today. The NEA, which Landmark Legal Foundation and I and the new president there, Pete Hutchison, who's been there 30, 40 years, we have fought this organization tooth and nail. This is nothing more than a radical left-wing appendage of the Democrat Party. Over 90% of their support goes to Democrats. Why do you think they have what they call in-service day on election day? There's 3 million of them. 70% of them are left-wing Democrats. They man the polling systems and so forth. This is one of the things we have to address, and I do in the end of the book. Where does this critical race theory come from? Don't listen to people on MSNBC. These are morons. These are, these are advocates. These are pathetic people who are just there to push an agenda. There is a place this comes from. There is an individual it comes from. He wrote about it. And so I go and I look. You remember what Patton said? He defeats Rommel in North Africa. It's a massive tank battle. And he, and he, and he says, Rommel, I read your book. Well, guess what? I read their book, Sean. I read their books. They're overwhelming. They're out there. They're public. They're in our schools. They're in our universities and so forth. So it's very important to understand. Let's take climate change briefly. What's this climate change stuff? How do you go from global cooling to global warming to climate change? They're trying to come up with new words, new nomenclature to disguise what? An attack on capitalism, an attack on growth, an attack on the use of material uh, goods, they, an attack on creating wealth. It is a war on the old industrial revolution that created the massive middle class that we have today. That's what it is. Now, how do we know that? Because they've written about it. You know, history didn't begin with CNN and MSNBC. History didn't begin with AOC and Talib and Omar. Look at it. And it's not even ancient history. 
Quick break. We'll come back more with the great one. Uh, Mark Levin is with us. His brand new book out today. It's called American Marxism. It's in bookstores around the country. Amazon.com, Hannity.com, bookstores everywhere. Uh, More with Mark on the other side as we continue our deep dive. And we'll get to your calls also coming up. Final hour free for all straight ahead. Listen, I, I read in the Wall Street Journal. I saw it in Bloomberg News as well. You know, millions and millions of Americans are still have never refinanced their home loans. And you're paying these ultra high rates when there are still loan options available today with rates that are in the twos. We're likely never going to see low rates like this again in at least my lifetime. And I've said it before. I'll I'll say it again. This is going to have a significant impact on your budget. Now, Janet Yellen has telegraphed. These rates are going up. The time to act is now. The great one I call him, Mark Levin, with us. His brand new book out today. I think it's the best book he's written, and he's written great ones. It's called American Marxism. It's in bookstores everywhere, Amazon.com, Hannity.com. You also go into an in-depth explanation of cancel culture without even really meaning to do so. For example, you go deeper when you talk about Marxism and its history and how it doesn't tolerate competition of ideas or political parties and the Democratic Party and these other institutions, as I describe them, you know, having a their lockstep together, indoctrination, propaganda, etc. And then anybody with any opposing voice, you know, the efforts, the money. I mean, over the many, many years we live with cancel culture and radio. I've lived with it 33 years. Anybody in talk radios live with it their entire career. Anybody at Fox has lived with it, you know, 25 years and they don't tolerate they can't even stand the idea that there are alternative voices and there are all of these pressure points to silence opposition voices because they're fanatics they're revolutionaries they think they are history is to be destroyed that's what mark said that's why they're pulling down monuments that's why they're changing names that's why they're changing movies and cartoons uh that is why uh, they put out a thousand different names for a thousand different things, and you better adhere to it or you're going to be canceled. This is Marx. Marx isn't interested in competition of ideas. He's not interested in free speech, and neither are the American Marxists. They are self-righteous. They demand conformity and uniformity. They impose their will. Um, and so if you disagree with them, you must be destroyed. So while we're operating in one sphere, which is the First Amendment, free speech, and so forth, they're operating in another. Forget about history, they say. Who cares about the First Amendment unless we're expressing it? Who cares about protest unless we're protesting? Everybody else has to be crushed. And as a matter of fact, you have to crush the opposition party. That's what H.R. 1 and S. 1 is about. You have to control the courts. That's what the packing of the courts and right now the intimidating and the threatening of the courts is all about. You have to change the population to adhere to your demands. That's what the open borders are all about. And I explain it piece by piece by piece in the book. Um, Mark, I, I want to talk about this. You, you talk about breeding mobs in, in Chapter 2, and it's a great, great chapter. really captivated my attention in so many different ways. Here's my question. These arguments have been used many, many times in the past that the government is going to take away all your fear, all your worries, and we're going to put all our money in a big pot. We're going to and and everybody is going to live equally and, and government will guarantee it. But yet there are some that fall for that 
appeal. Even even with the the history of socialism, Marxism, and its failure, whenever it's been attempted, they still buy the lie. Why? Well, I try to describe two aspects of this. First of all, the the activists and the leaders and the followers. In some way, they're two different things. But I will say this. I saw that same survey, and it's enormously troubling. That tells you what's going on in our schools and universities, and we can't ignore this anymore. It tells you why Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, want free college education. These are indoctrination mills. It tells you why they never, ever regulate colleges and universities, tuition levels, ever cut their budgets, where they do it to other entities. The only two they never do it to are colleges, universities, and trial lawyers, because they're in their back pocket. Uh, To answer your question this, Marx tapped into something that was actually quite brilliant. People want to belong, and they want to believe. So when we talk about things like individual liberty and free markets, for some people this is an abstraction. But when we talk about we as a race, or we as a, as a uh, group of elderly people, or we as a group of young people, or whatever, you, whatever you, you know, the formulation is, people go, yeah, yeah, that's kind of right. Those guys over there are the enemy. They're the oppressor. We over here, we're the victims, yes. We need to do something about this. But here's what people need to understand. Marx talked about the rising up of the proletariat. What's the proletariat? The working people. We don't have that in America. The people are not rising up. The middle class is not rising up. These people are, are bastardizing our Constitution and using other aspects of our system to try and impose their will on us. And that's typical of Marxism. In Cuba right now, where the people are trying to rise up, the people there didn't rise up in 1959 and want Castro and communism. When you look at the Chinese, the Communist Chinese Revolution, that was a revolution also of guerrillas coming out of the mountains and so forth, led by Mao. That wasn't a mass uprising. Lenin's uprising was about 20-25% of the population. This is how they operate. They take over the instrumentalities of society, media, uh, the cultural aspects of society, the universities. Most of these guys were uh, college graduates or teachers. Mao was a teacher. Lenin was a lawyer, Castro was a lawyer, and you could go down the list. These aren't working people rising up to overthrow, because in America, why do you think they're going to hate the phrase in the media of American Marxism? Because I'm calling them what they are. These ideas of spreading the wealth and class warfare and everything, they didn't come out of the brain of Chuck Todd. He's just too damn stupid. They didn't come out of the minds of all these people, and I tell you where it comes from. Now, they answer your question. If we don't fix what's going on in our colleges and universities... It could become the majority because you cannot survive as a society when you are brainwashing your children and grandchildren or they are to hate this country. And a lot of younger people hate this country. And so you may send your kid to college or your grandkid to college and they come out and at Thanksgiving you're talking to them. They're totally different people because they're not teaching. They are brainwashing. They are indoctrinating. They are pounding repetition and so forth. And I explained how that started in the early 1900s with John Dewey. I won't, I won't get into it here. I, will, I do want to emphasize something you said, Sean. It is simply not possible, even in a three-hour radio show, even in one week of radio shows, to walk you through this book. And my goal is, I'm no Thomas Paine, and this isn't the American crisis, which was 47 pages long. People quote the first and two paragraphs. It was 47 pages long, but... 10% of the population of the colonies of the United States at the time, there are two, two and a half million people, 200,000 people read it. If you'll read this book, 
if you will pass it on to your kids and grandkids, if you will provide copies or take the one that you've read to colleagues and neighbors and so forth, this country is worth fighting for. This is more daunting and more complex than anything we've done in modern history because we're not fighting a foreign enemy of which there are plenty. We are fighting here domestically these institutions that they have poisoned. And so it becomes very, very complicated. And we have to start with speaking the truth and not to be intimidated. We need to be proud of who we are, proud of our country. We need to embrace all people in this country. And one of the things I say in the first chapter, Sean, is this. Let us put our small differences aside, our disputes aside. Whether you're a moderate Democrat or a libertarian or whatever you are, if you love this country... It's time to galvanize and time to rally. We have a common enemy that wants to destroy this country. It is the Americanization of Marxism, whether it's critical race theory, whether it is so-called climate change, whether it is open borders, whether it is the uh, the attack on uh, binary sexuality and so forth. It's even more than that. We have got to muster the resolve to confront this, and we're not going to be able to do it if we're picking scabs with each other. Mark Levin is with us, just released his, his latest book today. It's in bookstores everywhere. It's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, bookstores all over the country. All right, let me just explain to people, this, and I want to put some emphasis on this. Like, like the great constitutional lawyer, and for those that may not know, Mark was the chief of staff for Ed Meese, the attorney general under President Ronald Reagan. This is not your first rodeo. Mm-hmm. It's a seven-chapter book. It may be your longest book. It is. But it, it, it took me a lot. I took my time reading this book, and I did it on purpose because I wanted to learn a lot, and I did learn a lot. You comprehensively dissect every issue that we're now currently facing as a country, and all of that needs the thorough examination. And, and like a great attorney, you lay out the case. Chapter 7, your last chapter, which you told me is over 10,000 pages, I think is the 10, best chapter. words. Yeah. 10, I'm sorry, 10,000 words, is the best chapter in the book, and it's called We Choose Liberty. So you lay out the case of what we're facing, and then you give people a roadmap and a call to action. And if we rally to the defense of the cause of liberty and natural rights, inalienable rights— and that each of us, in our own way, I, I say we all need to be spokes in a wheel. We'll save this great republic. I want you to go into that chapter. I don't want to run out of time without all giving right. you the... I think uh, in the last chapter, what I say is it's important to know our enemy. They're not our adversaries. They're not political. They're the enemy. Any military leader will tell you that. Any great philosopher will tell you that. You've got to know who your enemy is, their weaknesses and their strengths. And so in this chapter, first I explain why we should be patriotic, we should revere our country, our founding, and so forth. And then I get to this. Here are some of the important strategies we must use. And I lay out scores of them, but I also want people to be thinking about them themselves. I say, first of all, we ought to steal from the left. We ought to steal from the left. They've been doing this a very, very long time. I'm not talking about looting and arson and violence. That's them. For instance, boycotts, divestment, sanctions, the BDS movement, which the anti-Semites all over the world, including in this country, have used against the state of Israel. Boycotts involve withdrawing support for corporate media, big tech, other corporations, Hollywood, sporting and, and cultural and academic institutions, engage in promoting that engage in promoting American Marxism. 
Divestment campaign, pressure banks, corporations, local and state governments, religious institutions, pension funds, etc., to withdraw investments and support for these various Marxist movements. One of the things, Sean, we need to realize is we have the numbers and we have the resources. How the hell do people think all these things are funded? They're funded by us. And sanction campaigns, pressure local and state governments to end taxpayer subsidies and other forms of support for institutions with ties to various Marxist movements. So that's sort of an overarching view. Um, American Marxists are litigious. They file barrages of lawsuits. They form shop. They file endless administrative cases, freedom of information cases. We have scores and scores of legal groups in this country who exist for this purpose. It's time that we use them. We should use these state FOIA laws, local FOIA laws. I'll give you a specific example. If you live in a particular school district and they're going nuts like so many are, I happen to live in Loudoun County, which is ground zero. Well, you should file FOIA uh, applications for the teacher's contracts, for all information related to the budgets, for all the, the books that are being used. I came up with an idea about five weeks ago that's been repeated on our on our mothership, the Fox News Channel, by a number of hosts, Sean, and it's important. Uh, in the American Thinker, they talked about maybe teachers should wear cameras like cops do. And I said, well, I have a better idea. Let's put cameras in every classroom. And that's how we found out that they were teaching critical race theory during the virus because they were on the Internet. Okay, so we should push for things. Well, the union won't like it. The union is at war with us, and we need to be at war with the union. As an example, the union has multiple aspects to it and they filed different parts of it with the Internal Revenue Service well file complaints against the union it is nothing but a political operation an appendage of the Democrat Party and we are subsidizing it and I've done this before myself what else Cloward and Piven there are opportunities for us to overwhelm the system let me give you another example there are shareholder meetings with these corporations why is it that only leftists show up at these shareholder meetings and make demands it's time for us and Moss to show up at shareholder meetings, buy a couple shares, and make demands of them. I'm just doing a few of these off the top of my head, Sean. I hope, I hope you understand. No, now, this is important. Yeah, now let's look at education. Let's look at colleges and universities. We have no idea how faculty are hired. We have no idea how they get tenure. We have no idea how they're rated. We don't have a damn idea what they're teaching. We own these damn colleges. They're heavily subsidized through our state taxes, federal grants, and our kids' tuition. Well, again, use FOIA, use litigation. There are groups, and we need to find out. One of the most prominent things I propose here, because I look at the communist movement, and I look at the Black Lives Matter movement and the other, we need to create community committees, patriotic community committees in every county in the country. We need to network. We need to communicate with each other. We need to be able to use the Internet and social media. And what would these community committees do? Push for liberty. Fight the tyranny, whether it's schools, whether it's corporations in those areas, uh, whether it's the teachers' unions, whether it is a college campus. We need to share tactics, share ideas. We are not organized. We need to be organized. And among your community, there are lawyers who can help you. But you don't have to be a lawyer. I give you links in this book on how to file FOIA complaints, on how to file IRS complaints, on how to bring cases. And I go through this one area after another. Mark, I think this is your finest book. And I'm not saying that because we are best friends. I'm saying it because I mean it. And this last chapter chapter of We Choose Liberty, and there's still time to turn the tide. 
but it's going to take everybody, mm-hmm. as you just described, and more. And it's also going to take election reform. And it's going to be informing your friends and your family and your neighbors and getting out to vote. Uh, great one. Great work. I know how you write books. I've been in your house as you write them. I've never seen anything like it in my life. You get entire rooms of homes with of his house, literally with stacks of paper and research. And um, uh, you spend a lot of time doing this. And it's uh, it shows in this book. Congratulations, sir. I'm very grateful to you. You're a tremendous patriot and your audience. We are red-blooded Americans. Don't let them turn us against each other. Listen, you know you always talk about your yeah. Levinites? Yes. We need... Hannity supporters, Levinites, we need everybody. Amen. We're all in the same boat here. We're all on the same team here. You're we exactly need every right. spoke in the wheel to make this thing turn. And we can turn the tide. And this republic, too many people have fought, bled, and died to give us this liberty and freedom than for us to just surrender and give it up. Great one. Thank you. Great job. American Marxism. Thank you. Uh, 800-941-SEAN if you want to be a part of the program. Quick break. Right back. All right, News Roundup Information Overload Hour, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of the program, we'll get to your calls, comments in just a minute here. Now, remember Biden constantly denying uh, that he had any discussions ever, none whatsoever, as it relates to Hunter and his foreign business dealings. Well, now we've got pictures of then-Vice President Joe uh, actually having lunches and dinners, and there were meetings, and it's chronicled. Uh, with Hunter's foreign business partners. Uh, Hunter whining about having to pay daddy's bills on pretty much everything. Uh, Here's Biden answering questions about Hunter's foreign business dealings. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private uh, and, and, and the government. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas Yes, I stand by that statement. Do you think it was wrong for him to take that position? No. Knowing that it was really because that company wanted access to you. Well, that's not true. You're saying things you do not know what you're talking about. No one said that. Who said that? Oh, oh, who said that? Well, we have pictures now that say it on Hunter's laptop from hell and Hunter whining about paying daddy's bills and the big guy getting all his money put aside for him after he's uh, vice president. Now, it explains the quid pro quo with Ukraine and you're not getting the billion dollars unless you fire the prosecutor. And but it doesn't explain, you know, what to what in what ways is Hunter potentially. Now, we're talking about a guy addicted to crack here at the time, talking about a guy that was going to prostitutes at the time. He's getting millions of dollars from Ukraine, Kazakhstan oligarchs buying them expensive sports cars. Shopping sprees with Chinese nationals. One billion dollar deal with the Bank of China becoming one point five billion. You know, you compare that to the media mob, the Democrats claiming that Hunter Biden's emails are Russian disinformation. Well, we now know this is a lie, but that's not what the media told you. It's not what Democrats told you. And we've got the tape to prove it. Just ahead, I'll speak live with Congressman Adam Schiff about a new probe into a potential Russian disinformation campaign targeting Joe Biden and his son Hunter. But clearly, the origins of this whole uh, smear uh, are from the Kremlin 
and the president is only too happy to have Kremlin help in, in trying to amplify it. To say that there's no evidence that somehow these emails and text messages or this hard drive uh, is part of a uh, potentially a Russian disinformation campaign doesn't make any sense to me. This looks like Russian intelligence. This walks like Russian intelligence. This talks like Russian intelligence. We have no idea whether or not the emails are legitimate, but this whole operation looks right out of the Kremlin playbook. Hack and dump. Steal the information with a cyber attack get the emails from Hunter Biden's account and then put them on these laptops that are left at a repair store. And that's how the information is now laundered into the public. Who do you think is behind this? Well, the Russians would be my number one guess. If I had to guess. If I had to guess, everything's Russia, Russia. Well, the only one that paid the Russians for disinformation in 2016, that was Hillary. The only people that were stupid enough to use it Oh, that's right. That would be those at the top levels of the FBI, not the rank and file, that used that phony, unverifiable information in FISA applications as the bulk of information to spy on a presidential candidate and a president. Unbelievable corruption. 800-941. Sean, you want to be a part of the program. Uh, Peter Schweitzer is back with us. I mean, he, he nailed this. We had, I think, our first interview uh, on Secret Empires was, I think it was in 2018, maybe January, if my memory serves me well. And Peter heads the Government Accountability Institute. He himself has started a new podcast. It's called the drilldown.com. And, and he knows all about the dual justice system. He knows all about Tony Bobolinsky. He knows all about Hunter uh, Biden's laptop. And we still have not gotten everything on that laptop based on based on my sources and people that I've talked to that have actually seen it. Uh, he joins us now again. How are you, sir? I'm great, Sean. Uh, always great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I'm sure it's got to be a good feeling in some ways. I, I may, was it January of 2018? I know it was in, I think it was 2018 when I did the first interview, Secret Empires. It was the number one hit. And everything that you've written in that book has turned out to be accurate. If, if anything, it's even worse than what you wrote. Yeah, Sean, I mean, your memory is absolutely correct. January of 2018, you and I sat down uh, both on radio and television uh, and broke the news about Hunter Biden's deals uh, in China and the extent of his deals in Ukraine and elsewhere. And uh, if you remember, uh, the, the Bidens from the beginning have lied and shifted the goalposts. At first, remember, they said, no, there are no foreign deals with the Chinese. That's all fake news. Then when it turned out that, of course, those deals were real, we show that they were real, they said, well, you know, Joe Biden had no knowledge of those deals. When we showed that Joe Biden had knowledge of those deals, it shifted to, well, he never discussed it with his son. Then when we showed that he discussed it with his son, they shifted to, well, he never directly benefited. Uh, what we see from the Hunter Biden laptop, and uh, we do have a copy, uh, by the way, here at GAI uh, of the laptop and all the files. Uh, it confirms that Joe Biden was a direct beneficiary. Of how, how come you and, have a copy? The New York Post has a copy. The Daily Mail has a copy. And my lawyers won't let me get a copy, even though I've been offered a copy. Because uh, <laughs> I am told that there are things on there that would be illegal to be in my possession if I had them. And I, and I, I appreciate my lawyers looking out for me. But yeah. Um, yeah. is that true? 
Uh, it, it is. What you don't want is you don't want access to the photos uh, because there is some, uh, at least I've led, been led to believe. So what we have are all the emails, all the attachments. And you're quite wrong, uh, right, Sean. There's been some very good reporting by uh, the Daily Mail, by the New York Post on this. Um, but it's 30,000 emails. And what you've seen so far are sort of word searches of, of words that people find in the emails and reporting on that. Well, we have been spending uh, the last six months plus doing and are continuing to do is dissect precisely who Hunter is communicating with and what is going on. And I will tell you, um, we're in the middle of the investigation now, but by the end of the year, um, it will be completed and, and it will, it will take on a far more sinister tone than it has even now in terms of what it says about the Biden family and the vulnerabilities of the Biden family. Uh, it's that bad. I, I, I hear it's that bad, and I'm going to ask the question that I've been asking others that I know have had access to this. Uh, are there, uh, first of all, why are we not, why is this coming out in dribs and drabs? And am I correct in, in my sources having told me repeatedly that there are things on this laptop that are uh, auto, immediately cause for arrest? For, say, Hunter Biden. Let's start with him. Uh, yes, I think that would be uh, an accurate statement. I think the reason that they're coming out in, in drips and grabs, uh, Sean, is because, uh, you know, uh, you've got journalists some great research, researchers at the New York Post and Daily Mail, for example, uh, who are doing word searches. And they see that Joe Biden is mentioned in these emails. And then they look around those emails and they release that information, which is good. Uh, what we've done at GAIs, first, we began with the assumption um, how can we demonstrate whether the emails are real? And here's what we did, Sean. Uh, we, we said, here's the body of material we already have. We have, for example, Hunter Biden's Secret Service travel records. They were released by Senator Johnson's committee. These are the official records that say the Secret Service traveled with Hunter to this location, to that location, etc. So we said, do the emails, the Hunter Biden laptops, correspond with the travel records, if our email references that he's in Dubai on a certain date, does that line up with the Secret Service travel records? Absolutely 100%. Second thing we did was look at the other collection of emails we have. Bevan Cooney, his business partner, for example, we have direct access to the Gmail account. Bevan Cooney and Hunter Biden corresponded with each other. So if there is an email on the Hunter Biden laptop, Involving Bevan Cooney, does the exact same email show up on Bevan Cooney's uh, email account? And it absolutely does 100%. So there is no question. I mean, of course, Hunter Biden hasn't denied it, but there's no question that the laptop emails that we have possession of are 100% accurate and correspond directly with existing material. And the information is devastating. The challenge, Sean, is that sometimes they speak in code. Sometimes you have to figure out who is Hunter actually communicating with. That's what takes time and research, and that's what we've been devoting our time to doing. Quick break. We'll come back more with Peter Schweitzer on the other side. Your calls, final half hour of the program today, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Right, more with Peter Schweitzer uh, of the Government Accountability Institute. His new podcast, by the way, thedrilldown.com, has uh, just come out. Expecting his new book in January. That's how much work he's put into it. 
Let's talk specifically about Joe's multiple, at least five that I can count, uh, three on tape denials that he ever once spoke to Hunter about his business dealings. We know that to be false, but the laptop from hell reveals not only is that a lie, but Joe actually met with and had sat down and broke bread with uh, Hunter's uh, foreign business associates, Ukraine, Russian, uh, Kazakhstan, et cetera, et cetera, while vice president. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. Uh, and in fact, one of the things that we have discovered is that they created a sort of back channel way so that Joe Biden as vice president could meet with Hunter's clients without it showing up on the White House visitors records. Remember, the Obama administration set up a system where if you entered the White House, your name was part of a public database. And this was a way that that people could track who was going in and out of the White House. And, of course, we know that sometimes they'd hold meetings off-site so people wouldn't know which lobbyists they were meeting with, et cetera. But what we found in the case of uh, Hunter Biden is, for example, there were Chinese executives that Hunter Biden arranged for meetings in the Obama White House. Um, And there's no record of those executives meeting with Joe Biden. But here's the problem. When you look at the Chinese language accounts from these business executives of their trips to Washington, D.C., they brag and talk about the fact that they had a private meeting in the White House with Vice President Joe Biden. And we know that Joe Biden was in the White House at that time. So it it corresponds. So these are the tricks that they employed uh, to grant this access to people that Hunter was either doing business with or wanted to do business with. And one of the things that the email reveals is that this was the business model. In fact, there's a, an email where Hunter gets really mad at this, um, uh, the, the grandson of a, of a president of Mexico, saying, I've given you all the access you asked for. I got you meetings in the White House. I got you meetings with my dad. I got you meetings with the vice president's residence. And you haven't given me the deals uh, that you said you were going to give. It's, it's very clear in writing that the Bidens and Hunter viewed the access as a quid pro quo for access to the White House in exchange for deals for the family. That, that's just not even a subject. Of debate. Now, now the question is, did Joe know that he was being used in that way? Because we do know that Joe has already been caught lying about the issue. And I don't think there's any way that it's possible that he didn't know. Um, and then the next question is, what about the monies that that Hunter was paying out for his dad's bills and then whining and complaining about or the money that Tony Bobolinsky broke wide open? And, and that was the issue of, you know, money being set aside the cut for the big guy, which has to be Joe um, and, and him claiming he has no knowledge of any of this. And you look at a senator's salary and then you look at the many homes that Joe Biden has and the net worth that he has. And it doesn't seem to correspond too well, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, look, I mean, for Joe Biden to say that he had no knowledge, uh, first of all, there are examples in the emails where uh, Joe, uh, sorry, Hunter Biden and his business partners are going to take a trip to China to meet with executives at the highest level. And one of the things they talk about is let's get those signed books from Joe Biden to hand out to these business executives. Now you're thinking, okay, a signed book, what does that mean? Well, they're obviously trying to demonstrate that they're tied in with Joe Biden, but there's some level of coordination you have to have with Joe Biden. I mean, if, if, if he's signing books 
to Chinese executives, they're going to want to know why. Uh, also, in the case of meetings, um, if, if Joe, Hunter Biden is in the White House or, or his associates are in the White House with foreign officials and they're bringing to meet Joe Biden, certainly his staff is going to ask and Joe Biden's going to want to know who is that person? Why am I meeting with them? So he can make the kind of small talk that politicians like to make. So uh, the suggestion that Joe Biden was unaware that he's randomly meeting with people that, that uh, you know, Hunter Biden and his business associates are bringing to the White House, I think is patently absurd. And, and, and to the point and just like the media ignoring the, the, you know, fire the prosecutor, or you're not getting the billion. All right. Last question, only because of the constraints of time on a scale of one to ten. How bad are the coming revelations from this laptop? Uh, the coming revelations based on what we are in the middle of right now uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, and, and you know, Sean, I'm pretty cautious about this stuff, uh, frankly, are an 11. It's it's that bad. Wow. Looking forward to it. Uh, Peter Schweitzer, great job as always. Love having you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for updating us. Uh, 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, your call's coming up. Final half hour of the program today. Hannity tonight. we got a great show, 9 Eastern on the Fox News Channel. Quick break, right back. All right, 25 now until the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, We've been watching with horror and sadness what's going on down in Cuba. Um, You know, I got to know a man that had a very profound impact on my life. Uh, It was early in my radio career. Um, It was around 1990, 91. I met a man by the name of Armando de Quesada. And he, and he owned a place in Decatur, Alabama, where I was broadcasting, uh, called Mando's Pizza. And he barely made it out of Castro's rise to power alive. As the, the murdering dictator regime of Castro, they, they, his family happened to be fairly wealthy. They owned a lot of property. All of it was confiscated. Many of his family and friends were murdered by the Castro regime as they were coming to power. And, you know, we often wonder, why do people get in broken down, dilapidated, rickety boats and shark-infested waters or inner tubes? And they're willing to make this perilous journey to get one foot on American soil so that they can escape the tyranny that is Cuba. You know, I was watching this weekend, it was a massive anti-Castro uprising that started in communist Cuba. The poverty, the misery is unnecessary. I want you to listen, for example, to circle back White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki say uh, what she had to say and and clearly not understanding what's going on in Cuba and the battle for liberty and freedom and the same with Bernie Sanders. Just listen to this. Can you give us a sense of where the president's policy review on Cuba is right now? Do you anticipate making any changes, as Jonathan asked, and where do you see it going uh, from here? Well, I will say first, uh, and I meant to say this in response to Jonathan, but uh, there's every indication that yesterday's protests were uh, spontaneous expressions of people who are exhausted with the Cuban government's economic mismanagement and repression. And those, these are protests inspired by the harsh reality of everyday life in Cuba, not people uh, in another country. I'm saying that because I think there have been a range of accusations out there, as you well know, Jeff. Uh, in terms of 
uh, our assessment of uh, a future, our, our current po our policy, I should say. Uh, it continues to be, our approach continues to be governed by two principles. First, support for democracy and human rights, which is going to continue to be at the core of our efforts through empowering the Cuban people to determine their own future. Second, Americans, especially Cuban Americans, are the best ambassadors for freedom and prosperity in Cuba. I don't have anything to predict for you in terms of any policy shift. Obviously, given the protests were just happening over the last 24 to 48 hours, we're assessing how we can be helpful directly to the people of Cuba uh, in, in these circumstances. By the way, all the all the false promises of socialism that were that are being made here, you know, they, they all those promises were made at the time. None of them were fulfilled. It ended as it always does in, in more poverty and misery. And when you look at the loss of freedom in the name of false security, it was it's breathtaking. And what really caught my attention were people taking to the streets, chanting freedom and enough and unite. And the anti-government protest in the capital of Havana lasting hours. Then it was broken up after protesters pelted police with rocks, leading to several arrests. I mean, the people are living in squalor and poverty, not unlike what we see in Venezuela. Videos emerged on social media showing anti-government protesters and, you know, an American flag during their effort to end the country's communist dictatorship and the worsening conditions for the people. Communication strategists once worked on former President Trump's reelection campaign tweeted a video of protesters holding an American flag as they marched, an American flag. And, and in Cuba, those that were rebelling against this dictatorship chanting freedom, waving our flag, the one, yeah, that, that liberals want to get rid of and don't want to stand up for and take a knee on and stay in a locker room on. You know, all these, all these leftists, all these liberals over the years that have been out there openly supporting the greatness of Castro in Cuba, it's, it's, an, it's a sick thing. America's favorite socialist, Bernie Sanders, has gone silent. I haven't heard a word from him. You know, you think back of, you know, people like uh, Justin Trudeau, you know, calling Castro a, a remarkable leader. Colin Kaepernick defended Fidel Castro. Michael Moore, remember, you know, you know, he's Fidel Castro should deliver my Oscar acceptance speech. And what a great health care system they have. And he's lying through his teeth. It's bad. And the people in Miami, those that have been able to escape tyranny, are standing in solidarity. But we can barely get a statement out of Joe Biden. And I don't think Joe Biden, you know, he finally issued a weak statement. After Senator Rubio shamed him, embarrassed him for his silence, he accused the Biden administration last night of on their silence of what was happening. This is a murderish regime. You know, no official comment as of last night, 8.30 p.m. from the White House or State Department. You know, then the top-ranking administration voice to that point had been, a, you know, the, the Twitter account, acting Secretary of State, you know, but the message suggested that the anger in Cuba was only about rising COVID cases and deaths. That's a lie. It was beyond ridiculous. It's just a lie. You know, Senator Rubio, it's now 10, 15 p.m. Still nothing from Joe. Biden finally today issues a tepid statement backing protests. He's not going to lift a finger. And the people live in tyranny and look to us for help. And our, um, um, we, we don't have an administration that's that was willing to help them. Julio Gonzalez is with us, Cuban-American, CEO, founder of Engineer Tax Services, here to talk about what's happening in the streets of Cuba. I know you're getting intel on the ground that I'm not able to get. Tell us what you're hearing. Well, it's just really becoming an out, 
outright war of people that have been suppressed for so long, and the conditions now have become so dramatic that they can't eat, they can't get medicine, they can't get water, and they simply want to survive. And I'm so glad you call it communism, right, because so many people call it socialism, but they're not getting any of the parts that come with socialism. They're getting pure communism, and they're fighting for their rights to be able to eat, to be able to survive. That's how desperate it's become. We haven't seen this kind of outrage in decades. And finally, they can't take any more, and they're fighting back. It is, it is unnecessarily poor. It's one of the most beautiful countries. I've, I know people that live there, and they've told me. One of the most beautiful, it would be one of the most beautiful countries if people live free in Cuba. Americans would flock to vacation in Cuba if Cuba became free again. I mean, the tourism business alone would transform the economy in Cuba. And, and people have, have lived under this tyranny. Now, they know they're risking their lives because the Castros, these are murdering Marxists. That is their history, the Castro brothers. Am I wrong? You're absolutely right. I mean, in my family, three generations came over in 58, and you see so many people come to Miami from Cuba, just like you said, to get that foot on the sand and have the opportunity to become legal citizens here and be, you know, helpful. And you saw that, Sean, in the elections, right? We came out in South Florida for President Trump, and we helped carry this state proudly because we know the difference between what communism is and what we have here under President Trump was which was a totally free environment, a prosperous one. And that's why we make that passage over the sea, to get here and to try to, you know, survive and bring other generations to a much better, you know, country than what we've had the last six decades with Castro. I'm not suggesting that America at this point should be sending in and getting involved in a foreign conflict, but there are other things that we can do to help the freedom movement in Cuba uh, that we're not doing, you know, we can help them fight for their own liberty and their own freedom. I don't think anybody's asking for American troops. They're asking for the ability that, that for the logistical support to defend themselves against what is a murdering regime. And no doubt these people being arrested today will be murdered. They'll go into these detain- disappear. detention centers. We'll never hear They'll from disappear. them again. They're gone. Right. We'll. We'll, we'll never hear from them again. And we're losing quickly, you know, these leaders in the community that are helping put this group together to fight back and finally get freedom. And there's no doubt those people are being, we see it all day, right? And we're hearing news of all these people getting arrested. And like you said, they'll disappear. And so, yeah, any help we can get to that community, to those leaders, to make sure that they have another day to fight and to bring this group together. Um, that, that is important. Mr. Gonzalez, anything that we can do, any information we can get out, you please let us know. Our prayers are with, uh, the people in Miami, uh, that have many friends and, and relatives still remaining in Cuba, uh, that are risking their lives today. Our thoughts and prayers are with all of them and they're, you know, that we stand in solidarity with them. And I only wish that we had a president that was stronger than this one that would stand as well, uh, for the cause of liberty and freedom they're chanting they're waving our flag they're looking for our help right now we can provide them help i think we have a moral obligation to do so not saying to send troops in i'm saying to help the, this freedom movement out 
this government is is ready to be toppled. Freedom, you know, the breath of freedom could, you know, let freedom ring again in Cuba, and it will be a new day. Well, thank you for all you do for our community. All right, my friend. God bless you and, and, and your community and the people that are risking their lives today. Sad to see this, isn't it? And then there are people that want to implement the same stupid ideas here. Justin, California. What's up, Justin? Glad you called. Hey, Mr. Hannity. Thank you. It's an honor to be on air with you. You inspired me. Uh, last week, I heard the um, NHL game with the National Anthem was sung, and the crowd joined in. That was awe-inspiring, and uh, it got me to think how much our nation, we've been battling the spirit of complacency and contentment, and we kind of forgot about what it means to be an American. And I really think we need to regain our fight back and regain our senses and realize we've allowed this complacency in our lives and that, uh, you know, we need to um, uh, realize that as a people, we don't need to let our government run our lives. We should be out there, you know, uh, like you said, let freedom ring. And when, when are people going to realize enough's enough, you know, with the corruption and everything else going on, especially, you know, me as a conservative here in California, I see a lot of the garbage that takes place. And I, and I realize I need to turn that frustration into strategies, starting at the local community, you know, trying to, you know, combat any type of socialism or communism just trying to creep into our school boards, our, our local governments and, and businesses. Um, and listening to what you and, and Mr. Levin were talking about earlier in the last segment was really um, helpful. And uh, honestly, I can't wait to go buy his book. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> but it's, I, I it's, it's a great book. For, you got, This this is a powerful book. Um Anyway, thanks for the call, Justin. You know, I want to reply. I played it earlier in the program. Customers, and I love Walmart. I say it all the time. Walmart, Kmart, Costco's. I love them all. And I don't know why the left attacks them all the time. I love doing my own shopping. There's this patriotic moment at a Walmart. Everyone, all the customers stop to sing the Star Spangled Banner. And there's a video of it we'll show you on TV tonight. And I keep saying Loudly, proudly, unapologetically, every sport, every person in every stadium and every arena needs to stand and sing it loudly and proudly. Listen. It just gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. 800-941-SHAWN, our number. You want to be a part of the program. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. The latest out of Cuba, Senator Marco Rubio, Lara Logan, Mike Huckabee, uh, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert is going to join us. By the way, she was attacked by AOC over the weekend. Uh, we'll update you on CPAC with Matt Schlapp, Leo 2.0, Terrell. We also got a pastor on. You know, you've heard near death uh, experiences, you know, 90 minutes in heaven and heaven is real. Yeah. This guy says that uh, he had a near-death experience and went to hell. 
It is so scary and compelling. That's all at 9 tonight. Hannity, Fox News. Fox News. 